You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about a recent post that we made. It was an address by former Representative Dr. Ron Paul, and we entitled the post in our uh, unheralded news, Islam is not the problem, the U.S. empire is. And the title of Dr. Paul's address is, Are We in a Clash of Civilizations? And it's talking about the fear that we've been instilled in Americans, particularly against Islam. And I want to quote, this is something that really kind of jives with us here at We Hold These Truths, because many of the evangelical Christians have fallen into this trap of fearing and even hating Muslims, even some going as far as saying that they shouldn't even be able to live in the United States. But this is a a worthwhile quote uh, that Dr. Paul made, quote, If what is said by the neoconservatives about Islam is true, nuking Indonesia would seem logical. ISIS is not a reflection of the 1.6 billion Muslims around the world. To do so is like claiming that the Ku Klux Klan represents sound Christian theology. Unfortunately, some evangelical Christians support preemptive war in the Middle East, but that doesn't mean that Christians must give up the notion that, as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, unquote. And, of course, to that we add, who would Jesus bomb? But it is true that 40 to 70 million American evangelical Christians are influenced by this notion of Christian Zionism, which is a form of dispensationalism. And with people like leaders of the Christian Zionist movement, if you will, like John Hagee and Pat Robertson actually calling for war against Muslim countries, it's a far cry from blessed are the peacemakers. Now, one of the things we want to talk about here is in his address, there are some things that Dr. Paul didn't uh, define. And one of the terms that's valued and used quite a bit is the term neocon or neoconservative. And so we want to talk about that just a little bit. Let me go to Wikipedia here and read their definition of it, quote, neoconservatism, commonly shortened to neocon, is a political movement born in the United States during the 1960s among Democrats who became disenchanted with the party's domestic and especially foreign policy. Many of its adherents became politically famous during the Republican presidential administrations of the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s. Neoconservatives peaked in influence during the administrations of George W. Bush and George H. W. Bush when they played a major role in promoting and planning the 2003 invasion in Iraq. Prominent neoconservatives in the Bush administration included 
Paul Wolfowitz, John Bolton, Elliot Abrams, Richard Pearl, and Paul Bremer, senior officials, Vice President Dick Cheney, and Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, while not identifying themselves as neoconservatives, listened closely to neoconservative advisors regarding foreign policy. And unquote there. So you know, that's quite obvious, and uh, many of those people mentioned were part of a group called the the Project for the New American Century, and under Paul Wolfowitz back in about 1997, they wrote a document planning for a war in Iraq, which came to fruition in 2002. And so the interesting thing, a little bit further on down here in this definition, they say, quote, Pedia, Quote, the term neoconservative refers to those who made the ideological journey from the anti-Stalinist left to the camp of American conservatism. Neoconservatives typically advocate the promotion of democracy and promotion of American national interest in international affairs, including by means of military force, and are known for espousing disdain for communism and for political radicalism. Well, anti-Stalinism was known as Trotskyism, another form of totalitarian communism. So what they are, they're saying that they're, uh, they've, they've kind of co-opted the, the concept of conservatives and limited government, and they are for big government, right, Chuck? That's right, and of course the biggest government of all is the government of war. Yeah. You can't get a bigger government than the one that saps the uh, life out of a society to go and create war against another society. So the paradox of all this, of course, is that the, the movement was largely secular in those first years. The names that have been read off here are not people that ever have been associated with, with any religion or any active uh, God-fearing religion. Bill Crystal, Wolfowitz, Pearl, some of these guys, Jewish, of course, Paul Bremer, Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, these guys were uh, all secularists of some kind or another, whether they were Jewish or supposedly Christian. And Ron Paul, in his speech, which is excellent, and we recommend everyone listen to this, he speaks primarily of the, uh, the secular, non-religious powerhouse leadership that formed uh, this project for the New American Century and other efforts to vilify countries, and they basically vilified Saddam Hussein, they vilified Iraq, and they used various techniques. But what we have, of course, noticed is that very soon after uh, the turn of the 20th century, or even before, 10 years before, when we first bombed Iraq, you started to have this movement being supported among churches. And this then became the war support that uh, developed and around that, then, of course, people, opportunists like John Hagee, built his Christians United for Israel empire, which, of course, is a war-inspired and war-advocating movement among churches. So I don't know the, where the grassroots support really was for the neocon movement. It was uh, maybe disaffected conservatives, uh, I guess, who followed this neocon movement. But obviously, these people felt that they needed to have a a spiritual bend to this. And out of this, we've seen the growth of the anti-Islamic movement. And that's now the power and force that's keeping us going forward in the Middle East with events like Syria and proposed even in Iran. 
So, Tom, don't you think we've seen a shift from a secular war-making attitude, pretty much inspired by business powers, people that wanted war for personal power and, and purposes, I suppose, uh, to where we now have a war effort that's actually dependent upon Christian leaders for its support? Well, I think, yes, they do give support, but yet they still are just uh, mouthpieces. They're really not the force that drives these wars, Chuck, I don't think. Yes, they have millions of people that support these wars because of all these things that have been happening. And, of course, Ron Paul has been very astute in pointing out this phenomena of blowback, and we're seeing this all the time. These wars that we've created since the first one in 1991 have created blowback. And you, you look at the terrible situation in Iraq and Syria and Lebanon from these wars. And, of course, as we've talked about on previous programs, these create more enemies. And so, right. obviously, there are more people that don't like us. And so people are blinded here, many Christians, as he points out, it is interesting, I might point out, we're talking about the Christian Zionist influence there, uh, neocons and so forth. I detected this in a Sunday school class that I was in for about a year and a half, and four years ago, we've talked about this in the past, but the guy that was leading the study, his name is Wayne Grudem, he's a professor, and he's written textbooks, and he wrote a book on the Bible and politics, and his lesson on national defense really went down what I'd say the neocon line, the concept, and one of the other things that Ron Paul mentions is this American exceptionalism, the idea that somehow we're so exceptional that we, we have to be the policeman to the world. And so in his arguments, this professor Grudem, he actually uh, attacked this was about 2011, but he attacked Ron Paul for being an isolationist. He justified the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan as being biblical, and of course we would uh, differ from him vehemently because all we have to do is ask the question, who would Jesus bomb, and blessed are the peacemakers. So there's this dichotomy among Christians that somehow we're morally superior to the rest of the world and that we have to become the, we are the policemen of the world. And so they justify the existence of our military industrial complex, the over 800 bases spread around the world. And we see this, but as we've said in previous podcasts, there is a, an awakening away from the effects of Christian Zionism but it's ever so slowly. And so the problem we have faced, of course, is what Ron Paul is pointing out, that to have an enemy, you've got to whip people up. And so they're doing a very good job with the reaction uh, to what ISIS is doing. And if you're interested, we have another excellent podcast on this phenomena. I might add to that, the vilification of Islam has been something that uh, is not really new. The first big effort was a propaganda effort that was carried out just before uh, we bombed Kuwait 
in January 1991. Right. And uh, just before that, a public relations uh, scam was pulled off when the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador to the United States was put together with a public relations firm in Washington, and they created and made a movie that depicted uh, the Iraqi army throwing the babies out of the Kuwait City incubator and dragging the incubators away to be hauled back to Baghdad because supposedly they didn't have any there. This was one of the radical vilifications that was done. And then immediately after that, then the U.S. Army unleashed this incredible attack on the entrapped Iraqi military that had gone to Kuwait for purposes of taking over Kuwait's oil fields. And they thought they did so with the U.S. blessings. From this, then, the war on Islam began, this being the idea that brutality of Islam included killing incubator babies for their equipment. And we've seen uh, that continuation on through. Later, we, of course, all know the story of the vilification of Saddam Hussein for weapons of mass destruction, which were supposedly terrible weapons like gas weapons or atomic weapons or something. It was never quite defined how mass the destruction was. But, of course, in the end, it turned out to be a concocted affair as well. The efforts at propagandizing have grown exponentially since the neocons came along with their scheme to bring about the first war in Iraq. And that, of course, has been fostered by members of the Christian right. And there again, their uh, motivation is always Israel. So it's the idea that Israel is somehow being injured by the Arab countries around it. And therefore, we need to have war on Iraq, Iran, Syria, and so on. So this has been the promotion that's been carried out through the churches. That's, that's really been the focus of our efforts. Uh, Ron Paul's excellent talk, which is very interesting, does not scratch the surface of this Christian Zionist movement, but he does speak from a very broad experience about the, his knowledge of the... Uh, ongoing effort in Congress that, that resulted in this first attack on Iraq in 1991 and all the other subsequent, of course, attacks since. Yes, well said, Chuck. There's a phenomenon that was described by Walter Lippmann, manufacturing consent back in the 1920s and through Edward Bernays. We've talked about him in public relations, which he changed the name from propaganda because it sounded better, but the public is gradually losing their capacity to critically think on issues. All they get through the media primarily is content with no context, interrupted by commercials to enjoy the good life, drink beer, or what have you. And so we're seeing that people are resisting to critically think about these issues or delve below the surface. And that's what we're asking you, ladies and gentlemen, to do. Don't take our word for it. Uh, do a little digging for yourself. And then uh, when you find something out, try to educate somebody else. <laughs> it's not an easy job, but we all have a place in the battle here to uh, spread the truth. And Tom, another really powerful case of this idea of blowback, which... Uh, Ron Paul talks about, 
this simply means that if you beat on somebody long enough, uh, he will eventually fight back if he has the strength to lift his arm. This is essentially the way it works. You build hatred by brutality and terrorism. Eventually, uh, brutality and terrorism results in counteroffensives of some kind. Uh, the example of it that was so clearly hidden from us was the one where in the uh, during Intifada II, in uh, 2001 and 2002, and the Palestinian people uh, had an uprising, and one of their weapons that uh, was used uh, to fight back a little bit was the suicide vest and the suicide bomb carried by people on the buses. And there were some 50 or 60 incidents of that in Israel. And uh, it was invariably done by people who'd have an, had everything taken away from them or who had seen everything taken away from someone else. And uh, these very young people ideologically moved did what has been done many, many times throughout history by all kinds of people, and that is resort to the impossible mission. And that, of course, is what the suicide missions were. They were the impossible mission that you didn't come back from. Uh, and uh, there were, I, I think we studied about 60 cases of these suicide bombs in Israel, and they all took place in a period of, of about 18 months, I guess. And then uh, this wave passed, and resulted in then multiple invasions by Israel upon the Palestinian people. All the Americans were told is that the Palestinians were motivated by the desire to commit suicide if, as long as they could kill Christians. And the suggestion was that uh, victims were Christians, or, uh, of course, if they were Israelis, then they were Christian sympathetic Israelis. Over and over again, of course, we see this. And, of course, the ultimate blowback today is ISIL, or ISIS, which, of course, is made up of volunteers that come from all kinds of different places and have just given up on life and uh, are willing to uh, do anything that they think they can to get even. This is simply the way human nature works. If you beat on somebody long enough, he will fight back uh, if, he, if he possibly can. And this is what's happened with the movement that Ron Paul refers to as blowback. This is excellent, Chuck. Thank you. And I want to point out also that on your Kuwaiti uh, baby incubator story, you have an excellent write-up on whtp.org, and I read that when you first mentioned that to me. It's an excellent write-up on how this is put into action, and specifically with the 1991 war in Kuwait. So anyone can research that on the website and just look up Kuwaiti baby uh, incubator story, and uh, you'll find that story. It's an excellent write-up. I'd like to follow this up with more in the future with how the current political candidates fit into this neocon mindset, like Rubio and Cruz specifically, and, and even Trump. How do they fit into this? That's too much for tonight. Yeah, but it's a great idea. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Glenn. And ladies and gentlemen, please be sure to, to visit our website, whtt.org. We've got, uh, as what Glenn pointed out, a wealth of information there for research. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch 
for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.